can I let my tummy go completely soft? And that's a really deep question. <laughs> well, yes, the six pack, the fabled six pack, um, often spoken about, seldom seen, apart from bodybuilders. Actually, six pack's all about body fat, as you know. It's got nothing yes. to do. Every every twelve year old kid, every twelve year old boy has a six pack. Well, actually, these days that's maybe not so true. Um, but certainly, when I was growing up, we were all skinny, relatively speaking. Um, we all had six packs. I've got a photograph of me when I was doing rock climbing in Japan where I was just dressed in a pair of tights and that's when my six pack looked the most spectacular. <laughs> I was about 35 then, I think. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, but the deeper, point, the deeper point that you point to though is, and this plays into a, an aspect of existence that I haven't spoken about yet, and that is most people are protecting themselves. Yeah. Their abdominal area is held tight against some unnamed, unrecognized, it's almost like a, a, a small amount of dread. I feel, I experience my life as being potentially dangerous. I feel that I need to protect myself against imagined or not able to be imagined threats. And in fact, when people are stretching, you know this is true already, what stops you going past a certain point is your body reacts. Yeah. Your body sends that signal to you that says that's far enough. And that is 100% the protective reflex at work. And so when we talk about fight or flight, which is the suite of, of reactions that human beings have managed to manifest the most spectacularly on the planet, which is why we're the dominant species now and why we're ruining the planet at the same time, same reasons, is that that whole, that fight or flight, that whole suite of corticosteroid secretions that the adrenal glands flood the bloodstream with when we're under pressure, under stress, under threat, every cell in your body is wired with that same protective mechanism and that's we, so when we, I'm talking about six different things here, I realize, but when we become more flexible, it is not, we think, that anything in the muscles has actually changed. It is we have learned to dialogue with that part of ourself which wants to protect everything instinctively because of this threat or however it's, however it's thought about. Yeah, But when you become more flexible, you will especially if you're stretching the way we recommend, which is slower than how most people go into their stretching positions, you come up against that sensation and you train yourself to actually relax in the presence of that sensation. And two things happen. One is the point in the range of movement where that sensation is experienced goes back a bit. And secondly, you're learning how to experience yourself without that reflexive response and you are in a very deep way you're really getting to know yourself you're learning about you it's such an interesting thing uh relaxing <laughs> yeah a lot of people speak about it uh, yeah it's, it's very easy to say to relax so it's very easy to want to relax but I mean, even still, like so often, again, in massage, obviously that's, that's what I do, that's what I know. Um, 
you know, we'll be working with someone and for example, it, it might just be we're working through the neck, which is the most beautiful experience. It's so lovely. And yet you can see them either eyes are wide open and they're holding their like hands are by their sides. But <laughs> like even in a position or in a state um, where they know they're safe can still be holding this tension without even realising. So how does one know how to relax or even if they are, they, they think they're relaxing but actually not? <laughs> how does one, um, yeah, become aware of that? Well, the classic reaction when you tell someone to relax is, what do you mean? I am relaxed. <laughs> exactly. That's right. What do you mean I'm not relaxed? <laughs> Exactly, completely fear-based and, and also a, a recoiling. Have you noticed that when people say, what do you mean, I am relaxed, they never move towards you, they're always moving away from you? It's a threat. Anyway, you asked the question. Um, well, getting, getting a good, getting massaged by someone who really has good hands is an, a superb way of learning what that feels like. Um, now, I've never had a massage from you, but I... But <laughs> no, Maybe. Yes, I'm a bit far away for that, but I'm certain that you're good at it. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is that I have had, unlike many people, I have had massage treatments from probably more than 300 people around the world at different times. And here's a little thought experiment for your listeners as well. Is it not the case that the moment that therapist touches you, you know whether the massage is going to be any good or not? Mm. Now, the interesting question surely is how do you know that? And this is the very heart of what I'm talking about. The person who lays their hands on you, who lays a questioning hand on you, immediately the body speaks to that other person. The body can relax underneath that touch. When someone imposes a yeah. touch on you, the body protectively recoils. So I'm, I'm, they're the two sort of crude, crudely drawn ends of that spectrum. But what we have noticed is that many practitioners, when they come to stretch therapy workshops, are actually not very good at handling other people's bodies. We have to teach them. We have to teach massage therapists how to handle other people's bodies gently. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah, absolutely. It's very common. Anyway, so getting back to your question. I'd just like to say you've never approached me in that, that way, so I feel like I'm on the right track. <laughs> yes, you are on the right track, I'm sure of it. And also, too, the, the fact that you teach stretching and that you practice stretching yourself also improves the quality of your touch. See, ours is a system where you absolutely have to be a practitioner. You can't just be a theoretician. You can't just know about stretching and teach it. Although you can, if you know it well enough, you certainly can teach it. I could teach it from a wheelchair, for example, if I, if I ever got paralyzed. Now I could do that. And I would be able to teach effectively. One of our teachers, in fact, in Canberra, had a, a heart valve replacement, the same one that Arnold Schwarzenegger had um, I can't remember here, one of his valves replaced and it was open heart surgery. And so 
Pierre, his name is, he won't mind me talking about this. He worked from a chair for the next six months before he could actually stretch himself. And he's he, just as effective as normal yeah. because he had the experience. So now I'm going to get back to answering the question that you asked before is how can people learn to be relaxed or how can people know they are relaxed or not? I would argue that unless you have had the experience of being deeply relaxed and you were aware of what that felt like when you were deeply relaxed, you will never be able to relax. Yeah. You will say to yourself, I am relaxed and you will mean it as a concept. You, you can engage with that, but here's the acid test. And I know you, I think you have felt my body before how remarkably soft it is, even though I'm really strong. It's yeah. soft all the time. Even my neck muscles are soft. My back muscles are soft when I'm standing. I have learned to relax. Mm -hmm. It certainly wasn't a natural thing for me. And that's why my practice, I did once when I was on retreat in New Mexico for six months, I practiced only lying relaxation practice and breath counting. That's all I did. I did five or six se sessions a day along with my seated meditation as well, which is a different practice. And that changed my body completely. Some, something was reset in my body and my body was always soft after that. It didn't change how much force I could apply or how big or small my muscles were, any of those kinds of things. But my muscles, when I'm not using them, are soft. You can poke your fingers into them. Yeah. That's unusual. You just Human beings are not like that normally. Although I did hear, I did hear of a sprinter, an AIS sprinter, who was supposed to have traps that were like um, just completely soft and buttery. I never met the guy myself. I really wanted to feel those traps because I've never met anybody with traps that are that soft. Anyway, so here's the thing: when you practice relaxing enough, then you know how it feels, and and this is the paradoxical part of it which I haven't heard anyone else talk about, probably someone has. When you are deeply relaxed or when you're relaxed as a person, when it's your standard way of being in the world, unlike many people, as you become tenser, you notice it immediately. You notice it. And just see what I did with my shoulder then? You let the shoulder go down. That's in your awareness. Mm -hmm. So when you say to someone, relax, and they say, oh, I am relaxed. <laughs> That's the antithesis of that. The, the person who believes themselves to be relaxed, but when you press them or poke them, they're as hard as a rock. Well, firstly, though, well, not firstly, those people are going to have a very hard time learning how to stretch because the new directions that we give these days, and this is something we've really brought out of my relaxation and meditation practice into mainstream stretch therapy, after we've done a contraction now, we always say, take in a breath. And as you breathe out, let your tummy go soft, which means you have to let your awareness go into your tummy to feel that because you don't know whether it's soft or not. Mm -hmm. Then take in another breath. And as you breathe out, in brackets the second time, then you move a bit more deeply into the stretch. So it's a two-part relaxation process now. Mm -hmm. And that, for some people, it's, it is a complete revelation. It has completely changed their practice. Other people who are naturally more towards the relaxed end of the spectrum, the difference, of course, as you can imagine, would not be anywhere near as great. But if someone's instinct or way of being in the world is fundamentally to protect themselves most or all of the time, 
letting the tummy go soft will never occur to them. It will never occur to them. They'll say, I am relaxed. I've gone as far as I can in this stretch. So on a workshop, I'll come along, put one hand on their back so they can feel I'm not assaulting them or anything, and then reach a hand and feel their tummy and say, let your, just let your tummy relax against my hand. The tummy goes soft. Take in another breath and now see if you can go a bit further. They always can go further. Yeah. But that... One thing is to hear the word relax. Another thing is to hear the word let your tummy go soft. Mm -hmm. It's quite a different thing to actually let your tummy go soft. But if your tummy has not relaxed, you're not relaxed. That's all. Uh, now, it's, it's so simple, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> when, it's, when it's put that way, it's so simple, but it's not obvious. Yeah, I've heard you say in uh, another interview uh, when doing stretch therapy um, or anything actually is to play the edge. What does this mean? Well, I, I was thinking about whether or not I would talk about this this morning <laughs> when I was talking. Oh, yes. But the, the metaphor that I use for playing the edge is a bit pithy and I'm just not sure that you're, and it's a bit crude, I'm just not sure that your, your listeners would like it. So I'll try and reframe it a different way. You know the, the ancient Greek myth of Odysseus, that'll be somewhere close to your forebears' home. Uh, Odysseus was at one stage between Scylla and Charybdis. He was caught between Scylla and Charybdis. So caught between two disastrous outcomes. One was, a, I think, a whirlpool that sucked him down into the centre of the earth if he went too far that way, and I can't remember what the other one was. If you're really paying attention to this life, that's what it's like. You are constantly between Scylla and Charybdis. But... We, but, we, but everyone falls asleep, myself too. We fall asleep and so we don't actually notice the edge that we're on. So we could say, to put it in, say, let's, let's, we could say we're playing the edge between what is known and what is unknown. Or we're playing the edge between organization and chaos. Actually, that's really what our life is, as recent events have shown us so indelibly. All the things that we take for granted, actually none of those things is fixed, but we treat them as though they are. And we'll externalise something like the economy as though somehow the economy as a concept is more important than the individuals who make it up. That's, that is our culture. That's what we value. We don't value the environment. We certainly... We can't afford to count climate change. We can't afford to take that seriously. That's what our, that's what our the thinkers or the or the politicians, at least anyway, will tell us. Anyway, there's there's so much to unpack there. But playing the edge, if we consider it purely in stretching terms, is how much is too much? Yeah. How much is enough? We want to be in the space between enough and too much and to know vividly and accurately what that feels like at all times so not just 
when we're stretching, stretching is just a metaphor for a larger practice of being aware, the practice of being aware. Yes, so for the stretching audience, I'd say playing the edges, not going too far, knowing exactly how far too far is, being familiar with it, but not frightened by it. But also you have to work hard enough. That's what I mean by enough and too much. Yes. I mean, if you just, if you, I guarantee if you think about stretching and you're just relaxing on the couch while you think about stretching, that will not improve your hamstring length at all. Nothing will happen. But for many people, I don't know what proportion, a lot of people would rather engage with the idea of something than the thing itself. Mm -hmm. I, I personally like to engage with the thing itself, if possible. Anyway, I don't know whether that's a good answer to your question or not. So let's talk about the physiology for a second. Sure. In terms of when we stretch, the muscles are easier to stretch than, say, tendons and joints. And in terms of your, the strength work that goes into stretch therapy as well, um, how, do we, how do we build up the resilience in those tenderness areas because, I mean, that's what we need to do. Muscles will always respond much quicker to those, that stimulus and whatnot. So how do, we, how do we balance that without, I mean, I know you've just said the, you know, play the edge is always knowing that balance. I guess now when we are stretching, we're talking about, um, you know, the, the muscular side of things and, and tendons. How do we know what that edge is if, a part of our body can take more than say the other, another part. That makes sense. The body will tell you if you listen to it, that's the short answer. And what do I mean by that? Well, the body is actually talking to us all the time. Yes. All the time. But I like to say, perhaps the language that it's using is not one that's familiar to you um, or you're deaf to what it's saying. Mm, ignoring it. Those two possibilities, yes. Well, in fact, our culture has a very powerful vested interest in teaching people both to be consumers and how to ignore what's happening inside their bodies. How else do you keep people in an office chair for eight hours a day and, and, and position that at the marketing exercise as desirable? Good. And yet, the vast majority of people do that. And... Their bodies don't want to be there. Why do you think people are so unhappy? The body actually always wins in the end. But you might not like the route that it takes and you might not like the reaction it comes up with in order to remove you from that environment it doesn't like to be in. So In terms of conditioning tendons and ligaments, let's say, which was the, the root of your question, I think, well, two things occur to me immediately. The first is that unlike any other form of stretching that I know of, stretch therapy actively uses contractions at the end of the range of movement in all exercises. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when we're practicing, when I'm practicing side splits, for example, I let my feet slide apart 
as far as they can. I've got my feet rooted on the ground and I'm on a relatively slippery surface. I let myself go down until I've gone far enough for that particular moment and I hold myself there. Same with front splits. I hold myself there. What's that doing? It's an isometric contraction and I'm holding up my whole body's weight, my adductors. That's what's doing the work. I'm not using my hands or a chair or something else. That's emblematic of this approach. The point being that you can make your body phenomenally strong without using any equipment whatsoever if you understand how to work levers and exactly the same as gymnastic strength training. Yeah. Exactly the same. And so the point that you made about muscles reacting the fastest, well, the, the brain, the neural system reacts the fastest and muscles are the the handmaidens or the children of the brain in this, in this sense. So they react, they react in the moment instantly. So that's really a neural phenomenon, right? But they also get stronger, much quicker than tendons and ligaments, yes. much quicker. And so when people hurt themselves, and this will, you see this happening in a beginning intermediate strength training student, and, and I should say on that note, any routine, any strengthening routine will make any beginner stronger. It's when they reach their first plateau is where you understand the sophistication or not of the system that's being used because you have to change something. Anyway, the short answer to your question is we need to build periodicity. In fact, that was a book, a book called Periodicity. It was written by a guy called Tudor Bumper, Eastern European guy. But basically, periodicity is very, very simple. You cycle all of your maximum efforts. You cycle them. So here's, here's an example from the stretching world. I used to live with a dancer. And I observed, because I would work out with her, with her fellow dancers, and I would say to them, I haven't seen you do side splits for a couple of days. Why not? Why aren't you doing side splits? I mean, some people are more flexible than others, and some people would just move through side splits while they're rolling around on the floor and then tell you how stiff they're feeling that day. That's a typical dancer. But, but so this person wasn't like that. Her, her flexibility was rather more earned than natural in her case. And she said, because I did a very strong... Um, side split stretch let's say three or four days ago and i know that if i do that strong stretch again it's not going to be productive this time because i'm still a bit sore from it so that's that's the one answer so you cycle things you don't do maximum stretches or maximum strength work or maximum anything all the time this is another way of understanding playing the edge too of course basically tendons and ligaments have about one tenth the nutrient supply of muscles roughly that means they need a significant period of conditioning in order to make that jump to the next level. And this is where gymnastic strength training is, is I think, at its best. And they exemplify the concept of periodicity, which means that depending on what strength move we're talking about or in our world, it might be what flexibility move you're talking about. You don't try to do it better or deeper or harder each time you do it. Rather, you work within that too much enough space and you vary it where so for example yesterday i was doing some deadlifts on the on the deck outside my approach to the deadlifting i just i just leave a weight on the bar and i leave it there i don't have a warm-up for any of the things that i do as i think you might recall from 
us talking about this once before, but I'll walk by that bar and it will, it will talk to me and I'll just ignore it. I'll walk by another time and I'll ignore it. Then, then when I feel like it, I go over and I'll just do three reps or five reps or as many as I feel like doing on a day. One day when I pick it up, it'll feel like I can do more than another day. Like you were talking about stretching. And so I might crank out eight or 10 reps with the weight that's on the bar. But two or three days ago, I went past the bar and three reps was all I could do. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't upset with myself because I didn't do as many as I did the week before. That was that day. So when you, when you're experienced enough in your practice, and this goes for all aspects of practice, I don't want to sound as though this is just something one does instinctively, but actually that is the short answer. Your body in the act of doing whatever practice it is that you're doing will tell you how much or how little it wants to do or needs to do. Now, to someone who's never done any stretching before or hasn't done any strength training before, that will sound like complete gobbledygook. But I assure you, it is accurate. And so, getting back to an earlier thread in our conversation, the real deep reason for stretching or to learning to stretch the way we recommend you do it is to start a dialogue with this thing that you live in that you don't know, but is actually which is running the show. The body will always win. You cannot make the body do anything it doesn't want to do. It's like herding cats. It cannot be done. But there's the fiction that we can make ourselves do X or Y. And we can up to a point until the body says no further. That's true of everything. I don't know if you have an answer to this. We'll ask it anyway. So what, what would you say to the athlete who has an expectation and has an event and it doesn't matter how their body is feeling for that in that moment or on that day, they still have uh, an expectation that they need to meet. How do you then approach your own body knowing you have to perform a certain way? I'll, I'll, I'm speaking as an ex-athlete now, so I'll, yes. I'll, answer, I'll, I'll answer that as two different right. ways. First, the first way is my friend Linda in Canada, she would say, how's that working for you? Meaning it's not working for you, is it? <laughs> right? and, so, and so, but as an athlete, I mean, I think one of the problems that we have in thinking about these things is we just associate athleticism with health and being good for the body but as the reports from female gymnastics over the last 10 years has shown um, the reports from elite sports of all different kinds the pursuit of health is not what sports are about they're about winning and so my coach could never understand he said you're a lazy trainer he said you just don't put in do you and i said there's no point i can't make myself do it unless it's important to me and he'd just shake his head and walk away muttering but on race day i performed extremely well and always better than he's his curves and calculations had shown from my training times always and so this complete, this non him. And so the, the point of mentioning this is to say the, the athlete who is competing in an event has made the achievement of that goal the most important thing in their life. 
And so the body is sacrificed to some extent in the pursuit of that goal. And, and, and for the people whose bodies break down on them, and which is quite common in all different sports, that is a consequence of not listening to what the body is telling you. Or it may be um, unwise training protocols, which has you doing too much too soon or not enough conditioning, as you were talking about, tendons and ligaments are not yet sufficiently conditioned. Look, I'll just go back to men's gymnastics for a moment. I was working in a facility in Arizona once, probably five years ago, and there was a 16-year-old boy there doing work on a horizontal bar. And he was watching this boy's movements on the bar, and he said, I have 16,000 hours of training in that boy. Now, here's the thing. Someone who, as an adult who wants to take up recreational gymnastic strength training, the reason why injuries are so common in strength training, if you, if you take it up as an adult, is that your body is not like that young gymnast who has done 16,000 hours of training. Now, you might say, and gymnasts certainly, they don't train at high intensity all the time at all. In fact, a huge fraction of their work is exactly what you were talking about, the conditioning aspect, but they don't see it like that. But that's actually what they're doing. And in fact, whenever they're doing a new strength move or a new, um, a new skill, they'll always do it negatively or always do it in reverse or always do it with support. Always. Why? It's potentially dangerous. And you don't know yet whether you're strong enough or have the actual capacity to exert that enough force in that position. So they just, they just train smarter than we do. But they also do the most extraordinary amount of training. A young female gymnast, for example, at the AIS today will be doing 40 hours of training a week and a full school load on top of that. And they start when they're five or six. Yes. So by the time they get to 16 and you're looking at these superb bodies being able to do these amazing things, they have not lived the same life path as you or I. And so I'm not saying, not saying for a moment that we have to, you know, downregulate our expectations of what we can do. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying you, as an adult, you need to temper your desires against the experience and the state, the condition that your body is in. And if you do that, if you learn to listen to your body, and that's where we brings us back to the stretching stuff again, if you do learn to listen to your body, your body will Quiet always ego. tell you. Hmm? Quiet the ego. Yes. Well, that's, I mean, look, I've asked, I've asked hundreds of people. I, I, on a workshop, I don't think I did this on your workshop, but I will say at the beginning at some point, I'll say, hands up everyone who's hurt themselves. Hands up. Anyone who's hurt themselves in the pursuit of health. Hands up anyone who's hurt themselves practicing yoga or whatever it is that you've done or do. Almost everyone. Yeah, that's, and I, then I'll say, well, so cast your mind back to the last time you pulled something or hurt something. How did it happen? Did it go something like this? Let's see, side splits, my favorite. Yeah. I, was, I was down in side splits last week. I've got the photograph on YouTube to show it or Instagram or wherever you post your stuff. And so you're working on side splits today. It's now a week later and you get down, but you're about this far off the ground. And you say to yourself, the mind goes, 
the mind leaves the body momentarily, comes up into the head and thinks, well, I was down last week. I'll just push it a bit harder. And you push a bit harder. And then next thing you know, you've pulled something. Yeah. In the instant of the pulling, your awareness was not in the body that you were forcing. It was in the mind that wanted to get down to the ground again. Why? Because I could do side splits. That's right. Something like that. And it's the same with anyone missing a lift or in strength, it's exactly the same. I, in fact, Olivia and I sometimes watch, we, we used to watch a bit of TV when we lived in Canberra and watching the Olympic lifting is, is great. If you know what you're looking at, you know the instant the man or woman puts his hands around the bar and prepares themselves to lift, you know exactly whether they're going to complete that lift or not. It's there to be seen in their body. Because of the apprehension, the way they... Well, they're, it, when, when they're lifting in the Olympics, they're lifting, they're always doing um, near personal bests or personal bests, actually. So they're just outside their envelope of competence. And when you're just outside that envelope, that's when the risk is highest. Yeah. Now, have you noticed uh, that very few people hurt themselves at those events? That's something that doesn't strike people. That is, those guys or, or girls, they're, they're all, they're, both men and women are competing at their absolute limit. They're putting double their body weight above their heads in a single explosive move. That's a remarkable thing. Absolutely. And the strongest guy in the world, three times. Little guy, he's Turkish. Anyway, that's a long way around to answering that question. But I hope that was helpful in some way. So what's next on your list? So uh, we're going to... Let's do a little bit of a circle because I, I find the, um, I guess, external influences and fear or, you know, past trauma, we store that in our body and we spoke about fear and how that um, influences the body when we're stretching. Do we, in a sense, need to be working on, I guess, the emotional side or the mental side of things to get more out of stretching? Do they, do they come together? Are you treating the emotional side when we are stretching? Like how, what's the relationship there? Well, there's, you, there are at least seven different major subjects you managed to cover in that. <laughs> oh, <apparently. yeah. laughs> Short question. Um, Hmm. Well, there are just so many things that you've touched on there. Look, the, short answer, the short answer is sensations are underneath emotions. The, the body is talking to us in the language of sensations all the time. The language that the, the sensations, I should say, is the most fundamental language or fun, most fun, it is the most fundamental communication the body has. And in fact, the body's language is the language of sensation, what things feel like. Um, emotions, they're a very interesting thing to talk about because our form of medicine separates the mind and the body, does it not? Yeah. And, and so the question, for me at least, arises, well, where are, are the emotions a property of the body or are they a property of the mind? Now, let me give you a little thought experiment. Or maybe that's just a poorly 
phrased question, and I think it is a poorly phrased question, but it's the it, it's indicative of how we carve things up. Here's a thought experiment. You're at home with your loved one. You've had a glass of wine this after dinner, feeling romantic, loving, affectionate, and the phone rings. You walk over to the phone. You carry that feeling of affection and love with you. Pick up the phone, and you become aware, as soon as you hear the person's voice at the end of the phone, you become aware of the hated father-in-law. Now, what does your body do in the instant of being aware that, it, oh, shit, it's him? Your body organises itself into a unique hated father-in-law mode. Unique to you. It's a particular pattern of tension, of holding yourself, um, expression in your face. There's everything. That John, you're listening. I love you. <laughs> Adore you. Please keep calling. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> you have the reaction. Excellent. But the, here's the thing: is it's so clear, isn't it, with that thought experiment, that the I, I mean, the the reality, let's say, of the hated father-in-law, he's actually in an insane asylum in Reykjavik in Iceland. That's actually, and he cannot get out. He he's locked up forever. But he managed to get hold of the phone, and he rings you. So. An idea, because it's an, it's an idea, is it not? The person's not there. The person, the idea of the person is there and you respond to that. Mm. That's a very powerful thing, that's don't you think? So that's, that's one thing. But if it's a person that you love or feel affectionate towards, well, no, my favourite example is someone hands you a baby. So you're holding a little brand new human being in your hands and you gaze into this face and this little face is gazing up at you completely open and what do you feel you feel this kind of sensation around this area here and you might even be able to identify it as love or something else or anyway it's some sensation which we place a great value on it's something that nourishes us at a deep level Yeah, we emotions. <laughs> There's just too much to say. Well, look, I would, in the context of today's conversation, all you need to know about emotions is this emotions start in the body of sensations. If we are not aware of the sensations in our own body, then an, an emotion, which is a, a suite of sensations which the mind has then attached ideas to, or concept to or whatever and then that then re-affects the body's own sensations that actually causes its own suite of sensations to occur could be painful could be pleasurable could be neither whatever the short answer to that question and even though i didn't really answer the question or we've only touched on exploring it is this and it does play into something a thread that you mentioned before but it might be a nice way of tying things up. The more aware in relaxed way you are of the sensations in your body, the more you become aware when they are organizing themselves to do hated father-in-law mode, for example. Mm -hmm. Or if anger is a problem for you, you will feel 
the internal organs and your surface musculature organize itself into anger. And in fact, you cannot be angry if your tummy is soft. Now, I've dealt with many angry people, myself included, who would argue vigorously against that um, assertion. But I assure you from personal experience as someone who used to be angry all the time and who is no longer angry all the time, I can tell you from personal experience, it is not possible to be angry while your tummy is soft. It's just not possible. And so patterns of tension, the emotional baggage that goes with those specific patterns of tension, they're unique to me, they're unique to you. Here's the beauty of learning how to stretch. You become aware of the body as it's moving from one state to another, and most people are not. And then, as you feel yourself organizing yourself into this mode, a little thought pops into your mind, oh, I know where this train goes, I'm not getting on today. In other words, you have introduced a pause. I don't think you put it quite like that when you were talking before, but that's exactly the idea. You introduce a pause, or even, even if it's not a deliberate action, if you didn't make a deliberate choice in that instant to introduce a pause, because you're actually in the body as it's changing, if that's your, your, now your most common mode of being in the world, you see, you feel where it's going, I should say, rather than see, but the mind calculates what the outcome will be and you say, no thanks. That is a gift. It's amazingly powerful. That's really what this system is about. Yes. Hard sell, isn't it? Let me tell you about stretch therapy, but how long do you have? That's right. Look, we will be, Olivia and I are in, deeply engaged in this exercise now. We're trying to sell our system to crazy things to think that we've been doing this work for 30 something years and we still have not managed to package it and to sell it well. Um, so, well, we have to put it. In a sense, I mean, when you say stretch therapy, especially in, I guess, the health industry or remedial massage therapists, like I, I know a lot who um, know your work and value your work. Um, so it does, it does have a very good name and, and, and I certainly um, love the art of stretch therapy. We will always um, make sure I tell people about it. So, so thank you. I think, um, I think we've ended that in a really... <laughs> perfect way um so if people want to know more about stretch therapy and how to find you and um and and live how how can they find out more about what you do and what you offer well the the easiest way is simply to go to our website even though we're remaking the website at the moment i have written so many things um hundreds of articles i i have a blog for example which quite a well a few people know about there's 170 unique pieces there. Mm. Now, I, my, my ex-apprentice challenged me to a 90-day blog challenge that we had to write every day for 90 days. Wow. And some of the most important pieces that actually, that are the thought pieces which explain <clears throat> what's actually underneath the things that we do, those pieces will be found there. Great. We also have the forum. Excuse me. <clears throat> we also have the forum. The forum, it's the, it's the single 
largest assembly of knowledge on stretching and strengthening and other things on the internet, hardly anyone uses it. But the fact is it's there and it has tens of thousands of unique pieces on it. Plus there's the website itself. So our website is stretchtherapy.net, as you know. Um, you can find things there. Plus we have a massive presence on Vimeo On Demand. That's our inexpensive pay download channel. And we have our most important exercises free on YouTube. So, so there's, no excuse, there's no excuse for not doing something, I can, yeah. I can say that. And uh, yeah, you do have two amazing books, which obviously I have and reference to a lot. Overcome neck and back pain and stretching and flexibility um, and exercises and photographs of how to, how to do it as well. So if, uh, if you're a book lover like me, then uh, make yeah. sure you get onto to the books as well. So... Well, look, let me make one final comment on that because it's become really obvious to us that the way people learn has actually changed radically since the advent of Facebook. I, 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 that's the way I date the internet. The internet became, for me, rather more trivial when Facebook was invented and Instagram and the other social media because my, my relation to the internet was back when I was an academic. We were the academic academics for those people that take up what was used to call ARPANET, the, the defense network. They were the first people to actually connect to each other around the world. And so uh, universities have a, a long association with the net, but it was information based and it was finding new information and writing and talking to each other and all that kind of thing. But, but depth was implied because of the audience. Facebook, you know, a deep comment on Facebook is, I like it. <laughs> that's it that's the end of it you know and, and you hit the like button you see a smiling face or a or a heart anyway um our work is a bit more <laughs> it's a bit deeper than that anyway that's how to find it so stretchtherapy.net and i do think and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk to you because i find myself saying things that i haven't said before when someone asks me a specific question and even some of the things that I have spoken about before, you find yourself thinking about in a new way and that's always good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a long time in the making and I, I, I know I say it to you every time, you know, I do a workshop, I'm going to interview you one day and look, it only took a global pandemic, but it happened. (laughs) (laughs) On that, on that, I would say, listening back, I haven't heard this back yet, but I will at some point, I would say what we've spoken about today probably raises more questions than an answer. Absolutely. If you wanted to take a list of questions from your listeners and, re- and re-approach this in a few weeks' time, I'd be more than happy to do that. And, oh. and you, you can be ruthless. We have, we have sown the seeds today. <laughs> Now you can say, you just, next time when we're talking together, when I go off on some tangent, you just say, it's a bit like being in court. Please just answer the question. All right, I'll answer the question. And I'll, I'll, try, and, I'll try and confine myself to that. Oh, wonderful. It's been fun. Thank you so, so much. Well, thank you. Well, look, I'm going to go off and have some lunch now, and you must too. So look, press the stop button whenever you feel like, and thank you so much. And I'll email you this afternoon. Wonderful.